Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everyone, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my colleague, Curtis Wister, the Mark Zuckerberg to my Jack Dorsey. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. It's um, it's kind of end of summer into fall right now. And in Maine, it's like really starting to happen. You're starting to see a little change of leaves and and kind of things are starting to go there. But, um, you know, obviously, as we're kind of thinking about changing in seasons and kind of things that uh, that might be happening to us, one of the things we've been talking about a little bit on the side, maybe even from a client perspective, is kind of security and cybersecurity. Yeah. So we are at episode number number 50 50 <laughs> this is a pretty big episode for us so we really wanted to go and try to find someone actually we've been searching for a while someone that has an uh, a high level of expertise in cybersecurity so the premise of today's show is how to keep ourselves safe online as we age mm-hmm. And, and what we're finding is cyber criminals and fraudsters, they're really always attempting to go after the most vulnerable targets. And really not enough is being done to protect and educate the elderly who are among those who are most regularly targeted by online scams. So while we discuss a lot of things, especially stay at home right now during the pandemic, about protecting the workforce online, but we have a lot of population as we age that are becoming more web using, tech savvy, and they're using the internet really without any in-house security team to help them navigate the dangers posted by scammers. And as we know, uh, and we've we've had this happen where our clients have have come to us with a with an email or something that looks legitimate, and but they've, they've criminals have always targeted the elderly and and away from the protections of an organization with firewalls, especially, mm. but antivirus protection and other security measures. So older users, especially those identified as wealthy, are viewed as an easy target for cyber attackers, yeah. whether it be phishing emails fake invoices, phony tech support calls. Scammers are always attempting schemes against people who in some cases are the really the most vulnerable targets. Mm-hmm. But as population grows older, more and more services switch to becoming more predominantly digital and online. So the issue of cyber attacks targeting the elderly is only becoming a bigger and bigger, more damaging issue if something really doesn't change first. And that's really why we want to have this conversation today, because we're starting to see this wave starting to, to really hit people. So, so that's really the premise of, of our show today. Mm. So uh, again, we did a really kind of high, uh, a big search here looking for somebody with cybersecurity expertise. So our next guest graduated from Harvard University and started, studied advanced computer security at Stanford. He's the founder and CEO of Achilleon, a cybersecurity startup based in Los Angeles. He's a software developer, cybersecurity, and compliance expert, and a serial entrepreneur. He serves as a technical advisor to several companies in the healthcare, consumer technology, real estate, and financial sectors. He served as the CEO of RISM and Equimetrics, which developed revolutionary algorithmic trading technology. RISM raised $5.1 million and was acquired in 2015. He also has extensive experience building web-based and mobile applications in multiple languages and frameworks. So at this time, I'd love to welcome Amir Taragat to the Retirement Success in Maine 
podcast. So welcome, Amira. Pre- uh, appreciate you having on. Hi, everybody. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So as well with the Retirement Success in Maine podcast, we want to get to know you a little bit, uh, Mir, in terms of who you are, what you're about, um, your, your work life, all that. So love to just get a little bit of your background and biography, including your path towards working in the cybersecurity space. So what, tell us the beginnings there. Yeah, absolutely. So my first company was in the financial technology space, and pretty much every job I've had or company I've started has been in regulated industries. So like healthcare, finance, um, you know, touching on areas that compliance and security are a critical component of, of what you're building. And I've always had an interest in that. Um, I did decide to kind of formalize my, my knowledge and experience by, by doing the program at Stanford, uh, which was a r- really great program. And it's a problem and, and field that I've always been interested in and passionate about you know, solving, especially on the personal side. A lot of the industry is focused on enterprise security and, and corporate security. Uh, a much smaller portion of it is focused on helping individuals. Gotcha. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about like how did you kind of develop this love for working in the computer security space, right? Because I can imagine it's it's something where it's it's not probably from day one you start out going, hey, I when I grow up, I want to be in the computer security space. So how did how did it kind of that evolve for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's a part of it's a part of what every developer has to do, especially when you're kind of in those regulated industries. So I was always exposed to it, and you know, the thing that you you love about it, uh, or the thing that I love about it, is not the, um, you know, necessarily like the, the, the compliance work, it's the, you know, dedication and, and, and passion you have for helping people and mm-hmm. for, you know, dealing with, with issues when they happen. Um, so it really comes from, you know, the calling of, of doing that sort of stuff. Awesome. So I want to hear a little bit about this, because I think this will give us some, a little bit of um, a framework as well. Can you talk about how your space has really changed over the past 10 years, right? Because I can imagine what was what you were doing 10 years ago to what you're doing today. It's got to be worlds of difference. So can you talk a little bit about that and how it's changed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, cybersecurity has changed a lot. Um, there's been you know, kind of um, incremental progressive changes that that aren't kind of like ground shattering, but like, you know, a big change that happened around 10 years ago was the shift to like cloud computing services. Mm. So mm-hmm. people went from, you know, and that's still happening. It's still happening today. So, you know, the way that security is done for cloud-based applications, and if you're, you know, someone else is really owning the server that your applications and servers are running on, it's different. So, so you know, uh, that changed a lot. That's probably the biggest shift, but kind of the area that I've been focused on and actually probably the biggest shift in computer security in the past 30 years just started happening in the last two to three years. And that's that, you know, hackers have en masse shifted their focus from attacking traditional targets uh, that we think of as like companies and their systems to targeting individuals. And even the really large attacks start with attacks on individuals and move into the company. So hmm. the example I give for that is the Colonial Pipeline attack, um, which was you know just a couple of months ago, about a month after Bloomberg reported that uh, the way that that attack occurred was that an individual employee was compromised in their personal life, had nothing to do with company, you know, systems, computers, anything. 
um, a password was stolen and the password that that employee used for, for whatever site, we don't know what site it was for, happened to be the same password he used to log into his company network. And the attackers uh, were able to log in. Now, now, what's interesting about this is that you know these attacks, they're they're, they're um, you know we like to think of them as like commodity uh, attacks on data. So mm. the people that attacked that person probably didn't even know you know what his net worth was or you know what mm. company he worked for. It was all just oh this person you know this is what we can do with this. This person works here. Let's see if his password for this is the same as his work password. And that's kind of like how it works from attacking individuals, which are really easy and profitable for, for attackers. They're, you know, attackers are operating a business mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, and then, you know, moving into companies. Well, that's scary <laughs> for the first part. Um, so maybe can you talk a little bit about then your organization, Achilleon? Can you talk about what you guys do and how you help folks with cybersecurity? Yeah, so um, Achilleon is uh, the most comprehensive cybersecurity for individuals. What we do is we we provide security for people, and we you know sell that directly to consumers. It starts at twenty dollars a month, uh, and we also sell that to companies. Uh, you know, leading companies buy it for their employees. In in the scenario of Colonial Pipeline, it would have prevented that attack. So what we do is it combines three things. It's software that goes on all your devices, smartphones, computers, tablets, monitoring. I like to explain it as ADT for for cybersecurity. So when something happens, we're the first responders that, that get involved. And then the third part is risk management. So there's insurance-like coverages that cover you for lost funds, um, you know, repair, replacement, remediation, ransoms, that sort of thing. So kind of a, another way to kind of put that is, and I know, Yamir, you and I talked about this was, hey, when if you're in an organization, you're provided a lot of these kind of resources and there's all these, maybe the, the firewall pieces and all these things are kind of kind of baked into your ordinary work life experience. But when you kind of are maybe not working anymore or in your personal life in general, you probably don't have access to those same level of resources. So it kind of sounds like Achilleon's kind of solving that that kind of gap. Is that was that? True. That's exactly right. And actually, one of our—I remember one of our customers phrased it that way. He was like, "You know, I just retired from a large company. I'm used to having an IT team, yeah. and you know, this replaces that." Nice. Okay. Well, I love that, and I—I I think I'd be remiss to not ask this question. Amir was, of course, anybody that uh, comes on the show, and again, the title of uh, of our podcast is "Retirement Success in Maine." You have any connections to Maine at all from? Uh, um, from- I have a few. I mean, I've been to Maine a few times uh, while I lived in Massachusetts, you know, drove up a few times. I had a friend that went to Bates uh, Mm. College in Maine. um, And uh, yeah, I think I I visited uh, Acadia National Park once. Nice. There you go. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for that. I, I do want to kind of rotate into this whole topic that we have today. And again, I we, we're excited to have this conversation because I think we're going to learn a lot here today as well. Yeah. But this whole topic of how to keep ourselves safe online as we age, I really want to start with some foundation. So can you just give us a little bit of framework or a rundown on elder fraud and why seniors are frequent targets rather than other segments of the population? And then I'll, I'll ask a follow up from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, elder fraud uh, is kind of this general category of of other crimes that are targeted against um, elderly people. They can be, you know, not all of them are crimes in the sense of money being stolen. Some of them are, you know, things that are scams 
that, you know, just waste people's time or, you know, are intended to embarrass them or give them a hard time. But the ones that the main ones that we talk about or, or we see are stolen money or scams that trick someone else, socially engineer them to hand over money or account credentials or, or, or other things. Gotcha. So can you talk about then, let's just get maybe define the term here. I know we've, we've thrown this yeah. out a couple of times. So can you just talk about what is cybersecurity? Cause I think that, I think a definition might be helpful just to start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And kind of leading into that, you know, nowadays, a lot of the elder fraud is done online or, or, or through digital means. So yeah, it's, it's critical. So cybersecurity, often people think of when they think of cybersecurity, they think of software, like, like their antivirus or their mm-hmm. VPN. Mm-hmm. And, and typically that's not what we mean, like, you know, professionals in the cybersecurity industry and cybersecurity. Those are, those are what we call countermeasures. They do one specific thing, like close ports on your router. Um, but cybersecurity is much more, more general than that. It is the, um, you know, detection, prevention, and then management of these, you know, uh, cyber attacks or cyber risks. So it's not just about preventing things. It's about identifying them. It's about stopping damage and actually addressing the issue and having plans to address the issue when it happens. Nice. I like that. I want to continue on just kind of building a kind of a foundation here for our conversation. Can you, and I know you just touched on it briefly, but what are some common elder fraud schemes that are out there today? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, they fall into a bunch of different categories. One of them you touched on is phishing. Phishing is where you get an email. Uh, it could be pretending to be an organization that you normally work with. It could pretend to be a person that you know. It could be a text message. It could be, you know, uh, a message on a social media platform, basically social engineering you to do something. And, and this is like not, you know, something like, you know, genius hackers are doing. This is as simple as I go to a public record site and I Google who your relatives are. Mm. Uh, and then I send you a message pretending to be your cousin uh, sure. and yeah. ask you to do something that, yeah. that that's it. Or one of your vendors or you know, somebody that, you know, you know, it breaks down into other categories. You know, there's instances where someone will pretend to be a grandchild or, mm-hmm. you know, relative, you know, that, that, you know, grandparent scams they're, they're often called. Um, another big, a big category of scams that you see a, a lot or hear about is is uh, tech support scams. This is where there's a you know fake virus, so it's not really compromised your computer. It might be like a pop up from a website that makes you think to a person that's unsophisticated or doesn't have a lot of experience using um, you know technology that their computer has been compromised, and it'll usually pop up with something like a phone number or something to call, and it'll be a call center overseas. And they will charge you money. And it, it's almost like fake extortion because yeah. like you don't actually have ransomware, uh, but they convince you that, that, that you do uh, and that you need to pay some money to, wow. to, to do that. Yeah. Mm. You know, there, there's a whole bunch of other ones. There's scams that relate to like home repair or mortgages or financial scams. Um, there's, there's often phone scams that, you know, you get a phone call and people will pretend to be from like the IRS or something and ask you to send money. Um, a really, a really nasty one that I've, I've, I've seen is where someone will call you and let's say, I know what bank you use mm-hmm. and I have some information about you, like, like your, you know, your username, but maybe not your password for your bank. I will hit, I'll call you, tell you I'm calling from your bank, hit password reset. You'll get a code. You'll get a code on your phone and I'll be like, you know, Hey Curtis, I just sent you a mm-hmm. code to confirm. Are you, uh, 
to, to make sure it's really you before we go any further. You tell me the code and then now I'm in your bank account. So, yeah. um, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So, so there's a, there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, you know, it's, it's a really big category. That's the problem. If it was just one thing, you know, you could, and it's changing, you know, next month it'll sure. be something else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Amir, I know from our end too, again, we use, um, so uh, as financial advisors, we use Fidelity to custody our, our clients' accounts, right? And and so I think that's that's something where why one of the reasons why we've chosen Fidelity is just because they have a, they have a really robust team and, and they're really uh, diligent monitoring accounts for fraud. And as Curtis and I can attest, um, even kind of chewing transactions on behalf of clients <laughs> where we have rights is not even the easiest yeah. thing to do at times, yeah. which is a good thing that's right, right. It, that's right. It, it, you know we remind ourselves it's a good thing as we're we're getting frustrated with how sometimes hard things can be to change or do yeah. but but I think from that end, you know, we we have seen some of our clients kind of fall into or or forward a message of, hey, um, my granddaughter's skiing in the Swiss Alps and she broke her leg. And here's uh, I need a wire amount of X number of dollars to this wired overseas bank account because she needs medical attention of ninety thousand dollars or something. Yeah. Wow. Right. It's amazing because it's somebody had hacked into their Microsoft Outlook. They had gone through previous emails. They knew the granddaughter's name and they knew that it was true. She was overseas. She was backpacking Europe. So all these kind of things were pretty true, right? And you can kind of go, hey, if you weren't, if everybody across the line were not really on top of it, you could see how that could change. Again, from our, our policies and procedures, you know, we, we always want, we, the good part is by having a relationship with our customers and our clients, we know them, but it's something where we, we, we always do verbal authorizations. We always kind of then have this strike up the conversation, making sure it's them and all that, but it's, it's something where, you know, we're seeing that happen more and more in without even the, maybe the, that person knowing it, that they've, again, assumed to be them and go to their trusted relationships they have out there with their financial institutions to kind of get access to their money. So I, I do want to ask you then, just with that kind of thought, so now you've kind of given us some of these these schemes and some things that are happening. And again, there's going to be new and new schemes that are coming out every day. <laughs> but what are some ways that our audience can protect themselves against those? Yeah, they're, they're, that's important. And there's a, there's a lot of different things that have to happen that, you know, it's, I, I hate being the kind of like bad news kind of guy and, you know, being negative, but honestly, the most important thing that has to happen if you want to protect yourself is to understand that you're responsible for your own security. By far, you know, that is the most important thing. And it's, it's a mental shift. You know, when you survey people and ask them, you know, who's responsible for your security, often they'll say things like their device maker or, um, you know, their bank, because their bank is, you know, federally obligated to reimburse them for fraud. And so, you know, you, you expect these other groups to do this for you. But the truth is that you are actually responsible for your own security. And if you operate with that mindset, the type of things that you do differently are you know, you don't sign up for everything that comes up online. You don't sign up for every newsletter or free offer or, you know, that sort of thing. Because what happens is, you know, when you, when you have like advanced, like uh, dark web monitoring, it's like constantly managed, uh, you know, scanning for your information, you'll see that you get breaches from stuff that you didn't even know you had a relationship with. Mm 
Mm. You know, the, the, the organization you might be giving your information to may not be, you know, bad people may not have bad intentions, but that company uses 30 other vendors and they might use a vendor for advertising, you know, analytics and this and that. And some of these are, are scammy companies. Some of these companies don't have great security. Your information ends up on the dark web, you know, from the most random places. So the first step is to just, you know, not give out information. You know, uh, if you don't have to, don't sign up for things that you don't know, you know, you're not confident about. Uh, and limit limit what you use. Uh, you don't need to download every app. If something is free, you know it's probably you know you need to, to think twice about it. You know, the the number of times free antivirus has like turned out to be a scam, or like free VPNs have turned out to be scam is like astounding. Like you know, every few months there's one in the news that that, that was just stealing people's information. Second thing that's really important is that you know, especially for elderly people you have to talk to other people when you're not sure about something. And you'd be astounded at the number of people that have been victims of these scams or these cyber attacks. And there's a level of shame that goes along with it. And they don't share that with anyone. And we get to hear about it because, you know, they kind of have this level of confidence to talk about it with us and privacy, but you'd be surprised. Most people have, have experienced something like this. They often don't tell their you know, friends and family like, hey, somebody called me. I thought they were from the IRS and I gave them $1,000 worth of Amazon gift cards and then realized that that wasn't the IRS after. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're talking to people, ask your, your clients are lucky to have another layer of somebody to just talk to. Like, are you sure mm-hmm. you want to wire this money? You know, uh, often, you know, people, people don't have that, but those are the two main ones. I mean, there's lots of tools to use. It's hard to kind of like create your own cybersecurity solution because you do need to have like a bunch of different things, but, you know, you need to use a secure device. You have to make sure your device has a password. You need to make sure your devices are updated at all times using the most current version of the operating system, you know, you should have an antivirus. Yes, even on a Mac, you need an antivirus. You know, those are probably the main ones. You know, there's other things that are kind of like extra that I wouldn't say are, you know, absolutely needed. Like one that's really common is VPNs. People talk about VPNs all the time. Most people don't need a VPN. You know, most of the privacy you need is built into like the browsers and websites that you use. Mm-hmm. VPNs just hand your information to another party to to, to have, so often point. it's more of a risk. Yeah, hmm. gotcha. So that that was good. Um, we kind of you discussed there, kind of how to prevent or or prepare. I want to kind of lay out a hypothetical here and say that I've kind of fallen victim to one of these schemes. So, like, what's next? What do I do? I realized that I just gave someone $10,000 that wasn't the IRS or whatever it may be. Kind of what are the next steps there? Yeah, so it, it's really it's really um, case by case. So it depends on how it happened, what, what, what was stolen. Was it a, you know online account or was it money? Or, you know, was it, did you just wire the money? Did someone else wire the money mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, on your behalf? So usually it starts with contacting your financial institutions yeah. first okay. if money's been stolen. Mm-hmm. You know, so immediately contact those places, make sure that, you know, depending on how the fraud was perpetrated, mm-hmm. the, the financial institution is responsible. There are many scenarios where the financial institution is not responsible those are often cases where it's, you know, uh, what we think of as not fraud, but just a scam. Uh, you know, yeah. someone's 
tricked you. It turns into really just like a he said, she said yeah. kind of situation. Mm, sure. um, but, but if it's stolen money, immediately contact your bank or your financial institution. The second thing you want to do is whatever method that was used to kind of do this, if it's a phone call, you know, maybe, maybe there's nothing to do, but if it's an email or something through social media or a text message or, or those sorts of things, you want to change your passwords, you want to shut down those accounts, change the logins, add, add another layer of authentication. Um, you want to go to your credit bureaus and make sure your credit is locked. If you don't have credit monitoring already, you want to make sure, and this is probably something you want to do before, before an attack happens, but if you haven't already, you want to go to, there, there's many services that do this. You can actually do it for free uh, on your own. Um, we do it for our clients. There, there are services that take your public information off public record sites. Mm -hmm. So there's all these sites that sell public records. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how these things keep perpetrating. One person gets attacked. We, you know, take over some information about one person. Now, now I know everybody this person's lived with, their roommates, their relatives, you know, every address they've had. You'd be surprised just little pieces of information will just immediately give up trust. Like, like, yeah. hey, I was your neighbor on, you know, fill in this street 10 years ago where you lived, you know, something like that. And, you know, a conversation starts. So, yeah, yeah those are kind of the, the main things that have to happen. Hmm. Nice. Mir, thanks for that, because I, I think that's where, you know, I, I think it's just kind of helpful to kind of understand, like, what's next in the in the kind of grand scheme of things is, as you said, there's a lot of shame, right? As all of a sudden I get to, I get a hack or I, I feel vulnerable, I feel violated. I don't know. I'm, a, I'm assuming it's all my fault that I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have clicked on that thing or I shouldn't have. I, that was so and I'll, I'll tell a quick little story. When I was first getting into the financial services industry um, in the early 2000s, actually, the, there was a gentleman who was a trust officer. So he's working with high-end uh, uh, investment trusts with, with a lot of money in them. He himself, he was like, I think, 55 or 60 years old, fell into the uh, Nigerian print scheme. And, and that was like, you know, we all laugh about it now, right? Is everyone, yeah. oh yeah, the Nigerian prince and he needs help and he's locked and he needs money. And this guy was, this guy sent him, I think like $150,000 over a few years. But the whole, as you, you said, Amir, that, that shame, right? Is I should have known better. Like, even though, you know, I'm in this industry, I work with people's money every day. And he's saying, I fell, I fell into this scheme. So I, I think why I'm sharing that lesson is it really can happen to anybody, right? Is it doesn't have to be, I'm 94 years old and really don't know technology at all. I mean, it could be anybody, anytime, just from kind of the methods that you're saying that, that people are using. So I think that's just really important to highlight, right? Absolutely. I mean, we have tons of young people who you would think are extremely tech savvy that have been compromised and, and done all those things too. And, and, you know, it's a, someone once asked me like, why is there so much spam uh, or, or these kind of emails? And, and the answer is because it works. Yeah. They do it because it works. It, you know, one out of, you know, several thousand people might reply. Yeah. It, it, it's just a hit rate. Right. And it's yeah. like, Hey, and that hit rate is successful enough to keep the business going and to make enough money. And Again, as you said, it's all a business of revenue and cost. And if it works, it works. Uh, I want to ask another question here because I, I just kind of 
if you kind of start being a little futurist here and you start thinking about more and more of our lives are becoming more and more integrated into the internet, right? Is we have smart uh, refrigerators now and, you know, that can, you know, order new things for you based on what's available uh, or you ran out of milk and all of a sudden it puts it on your list. Uh, Biometrics that are on our watches and our Fitbit. So we know our heart rates, we know, my my buddy just went for a run 20 minutes ago and he's telling me that you know you need to get off your duff and go exercise <laughs> social media with personal networks location tracking uh, curtis is laughing how we we can kind of keep track of our hey where where's my wife this very second like it's all there <laughs> Right. But, you know, how do you think we should be balancing, though, the benefits of implementing technology around our lives to that cost of loss of privacy? Because, as you said, if there's ways that like this information is becoming more and more known and used and stored, it feels like we're, we're we might be losing privacy. We might be exposing ourselves more to fraud or breaches, or as you said, your information is being used against you, possibly in the future in some nefarious way. So, how how do you think? Like, because again, we're getting more and more integrated, more data is created. How do we balance that? You think over time? You know, it it's a really hard question. And actually, on my podcast, I had the chief cloud officer of Deloitte, David Linthicum, mm. and this was the topic that we discussed. And, you know, his point, and I agree with him, is that it's a balancing act because all these devices, you know, and, and you know, there's all these what are called edge devices, you know, they're, you know, your, your bicycle or your refrigerator or your watch, right? They do these amazing things and they're enabled by this connectivity. And we don't want to stop that. I mean, you know, it's not just, it's not just enjoyable. There's also life-saving elements to it, you know, detecting that you're about to get a heart attack from, yeah. your, you know. Um, your smartwatch or something like that. But how do you balance it? it? It's a tough one. I think that there's some stigma around privacy that's probably like, I would say, unnecessary, you know, that 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 this data say like belongs to you. And like, mm. you know, mm. Facebook or my watch has it. And part of that's not true. I mean, it's not it's not really data. It's not really your data. It's, you know, it's useful only to them because they have data collected around like, Mm. you know, how the device is used or something like that. But there are other things that are actually, you know, your data, like your private information, your medical records associated with, with whatever it is. But the answer is that there's nobody really knows, you know, what's happening is that there's more and more pressure being placed on large organizations. You know, states are passing laws that have like consumer privacy laws. You know, California, I think, is one of the big ones that has that. You know, Europe has GDPR or, um, Mm. yeah. So, so, I mean, right now, the focus has been, you know, putting more pressure on large organizations. But it's a it's a really hard problem. No one really has a clear answer, uh, you know, and I don't have a clear answer, honestly. <laughs> uh, there's not much we can do as individuals. I mean, you can think twice about using some of these devices if you're sensitive about your privacy. Because I think that's been the response I, I've heard is like, well, yeah. just, you know, just kind of rebel against the use of technology then and just yeah. have your clamshell um, flip phone. And, you know, it's kind of this like stay off the grid and it's like, you know, it feels like, well, that's just not realistic. Right. Cause it's more than you just become more and more detached from society is, mm. is kind of that answer of that. So it's, I don't know. It, I, we hear this a lot, I think from the population of it's easy just to stay out of it. And then if I'm not on it, then I don't have exposure that way or but I think there's, as we've kind of found in Curtis and I with our shows, we as humans have a need for connectivity to be connect to and make relationships and 
and make friends and keep connected to those people and in technology, hopefully at the end of the day, it's there to ease that and make that better and make that more enriching. But uh, again, it's, it's tough. Cause I think what we just said is, is real is nobody knows. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, imagine, you know, the pandemic without all of it, without mm. the connectivity. Yeah. So yeah, it would have been terrible. <laughs> uh, it's t- totally terrible as it is, but it, you t- yeah. talk about even worse. Right. How now you, yeah. the only way you have is your like rotary phone or something. And that that's pretty much it. <laughs> Uh, um, so I want to kind of rotate a little here and ask you, Amir, um, what advice would you give someone that would allow them to protect themselves as they age? Right. So I think kind of the point here is, you know, starting say someone in their fifties, they may still be, you know, adept in technology and they're, you know, still working or recently retired, but certainly as we get to our seventies or eighties or nineties, some of that capacity or even will to stay up with technology is probably going to fade. So what is, again, some, some advice you have there as kind of, as we age to kind of stay on top of our, our security? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, um, kind of what, what I was saying about like being responsible for your own security. Mm. I think when you get to a point where you can't be responsible for it yourself anymore, um, somebody else has to take over that responsibility for you. If you're going to be using devices, if you're going to have access to make decisions about, you know, who to send money to or how to send money somewhere. So, you know, there, there are ways to do that. That could be a trusted family member could be, you know, somebody that uh, is taking care of you. You could hire a company to do it for you. You know, that's, that's kind of, somebody has to make sure that these emails or these transactions are happening. You know, it's not much different, honestly, for an, for a person that's very elderly to somebody that's a celebrity, sure. which is another group of people that, that we work with. I mean, you know, certain celebrities, you can just Google their name and get their home address. Yeah. So if I have your credit card number or, or some other thing, like I know where you live. Right. And so often things that those people will do is have their financial statements sent to an account, to a address that literally nobody knows, like not even the people around them. Like they'll use a a, a PO box or something that's only for their financial statements. Mm -hmm. And, and no one, no one around them will even know that, that address, Mm -hmm. uh, except like a select few. So, so there, there's a lot of things that have to be, that have to be done for, for those people that are similar for, for probably elderly people, you know, but again, it's hard because, you know, you have to trust that person. Sure. That person has to kind of be a fiduciary, really, because, yeah. you know, you can get taken advantage of by, you know, friends and family and all that. For, well. sure. For sure. Yeah. No, that was a, that's a great answer there. Um, I want to kind of keep digging here. So I want to talk about social media. So we had a recent podcast episode where we just kind of discussed some statistics of retirees and it's becoming more and more popular that retirees are using things like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever it may be. So I want to ask you, what should a retiree know when they're setting up a social media profile for the first time? And then also as they manage that kind of back to my previous question, as they get older, kind of what are some things they should know and should do there to protect themselves? Yeah. So I would say that the, the first thing is that, and this is the probably same advice for the first point I would give anybody, is that you need to set up a safe password to log in. You need to create the account using another, you know, usually you're required to have an email address, mm-hmm. using another account that's secure that has a safe password and kind of, you know, goes all the way down mm-hmm. because you're, you know, somebody steals your email address, they steal all the things associated to it. So 
um, you know, make sure you set it up properly, set up two-factor authentication if you can. Most of these, and, and that's something that's changing. Like that's definitely in the next few years, like two-factor authentication, which is, um, you know, to explain to, to people who don't know what it is, yeah, please. it's where it's where you have a second thing, like another app or a text message that ideally not a text message, but something else that confirms that you're, you're, you're logging in. So you enter your password, you get a, an email that says, you know, here's a, a second code. Um, and I think everything is going to shift to that. I think everything will, will default to having two-factor authentication, mm-hmm. and it's already starting to happen. Um, so, so setting up setting up the pa- the account in a secure way. The second thing is that you know when you're on social media, you have to be careful. It's no different than than talking to strangers, but in this case, these strangers are hidden by randomness and can easily uh, disguise themselves and be completely different people than they say they are. They can be, you know, you, you know, Curtis, you might know me and then somebody's friends with me on the social media account. That doesn't mean that I actually know that person. And if that person is messaging you saying like, Hey, you know, uh, we're both friends with Amir, you know, we both know Amir, like I'm a trusted person now. Right. You can't mm-hmm. trust that person. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, they can have accounts that are completely made up fake name, fake picture. They can make an account easily as somebody that's related to you or someone that they know, you know, and message you. So it's very sad and it's very gloomy it is, know, yeah. advice, it is. but you have, you have to be really careful. You have to, you know, kind of know what you're doing. You have to, you know, proceed with caution. You know, if you can't, and this again happens to people of all ages, you know, I have tons of friends that have met random, you know, people who they thought were a, a nice girl that they, you know, had a com- long conversations with. And it's like, oh, I've been talking to this girl for two weeks. And it's like, well, have you have you picked up the phone and talked to her? Like, have you had a video chat? And it's like, no, mm. uh, we haven't done that yet. Yeah, you know, that's kind of weird. Maybe like do that immediately <laughs> for you, you know? So so it's this, it's the same thing. I mean, if you can't get the person on the phone. If you can't see them. It's it's more than a red flag. That That's enough. You, you don't have to wait till they've robbed you to determine that it's a scam. <laughs> Well, it, and Amir, that, that it's actually going to be my next question, and I, and I, I want to maybe get you to expand on that a little bit more because I know with with again the population that we worked with, especially as we age, typically, uh, you know, with especially with married couples, you know, we had an episode talking about gray divorce. That gray divorce is becoming more and more prevalent of people that are divorcing as they retire. Or, or vice versa is, uh, again, couples that are staying together and one passes away and, you know, their life partner's gone and they're lonely, right? Is that's something where, you know, I think as we age, we just seek more and more of those relationships. And as we lose relationships, we try to fill that. And as kind of Curtis alluded to, too, where more and more people are getting to uh, be online, it's, well, then dating becomes the next thing online, right? And I know, um, obviously, there's like the uh, show on MTV, like Catfish and things like that, where they kind of follow these scams and how it's it could be anybody that's really trying, that's uh, kind of displaying romantic interest in you and you think that it's real. And they, again, to your point, meeting with them and trying to make sure that they are, in fact, the person they say they are in real life um, whenever they can. But I could see where somebody that's even more vulnerable, right, is, hey, I, I don't know technology, 
I'm really lonely, right? I, I'm just vulnerable all over the place right now because of seeking that connection. So can you just talk a little bit about maybe how, how someone can detect that, that authenticity of somebody that's online? Because as you said, it's randomness, it's strangers. And then if, if I am getting into kind of that dating pool, uh, yeah. how do I be safe? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the advice I'm going to give on this, you know, some people are not going to like, but, but, but what I think has to happen is that when, if you start a, you know, conversation with a person, I think that at minimum you need to get, get, and you decide that you, you may have some interest in pursuing a, you know, any sort of relationship with them, even a friendship. What you want to do is, is get to a point where you're on video chat as soon as possible. So, You've traded a bunch of messages, you know, not two weeks, but maybe like a few days have gone by. You want to get on on video chat to make sure this person is who they really are. It's Mm -hmm. not about like, you know, to see what they look like necessarily, like, do they match their pictures exactly? But you, you want to know, is this person the same person they're talking about? Are they really, you know, the age that they say they are? Are they really in the place they say they are? You know, you can tell if the person isn't in... They're not, you know, here in the U.S. if the time zone is different or, yeah. or, yeah. or you know, those sorts of things. So getting to video chat as soon as possible is, is a good idea. I mean, there's other things that, that, that you can do that, you know, I would, I would probably not want to communicate with people that are not like nearby. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't want to talk to somebody knowing that they're, they're halfway across the world and strike up that conversation. And, and maybe sure. people have different feelings about that, but there's often a lot more risk that goes along with doing that. Interesting. Because again, I could also see where, and I know some technology is starting to be developed and you see this with, with shows right now, is this kind of concept of a deep fake, right? And, and kind of this idea of someone can mimic audio of somebody else so they can mimic video i can see where that also even maybe video chatting in in a few years maybe doesn't become um as as authentic as meeting in, in real life right yeah absolutely i mean well what, what's hap- what happens now you know is that the people that are doing this send videos they, yeah. they won't get on video chat with you they make a video mm-hmm. answering a question or 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 saying something or, or send a photo that can be easily like doctored mm-hmm. and send that as like, Hey, you know, I can't, I can't video chat with you. I can't get on the phone with you, but here's a video I made that, <laughs> that answers the question. So again, extremely uh, suspicious. Right. Um, you, you don't have to wait till you you've been robbed to know that it's a scam. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to, I want to rotate here a little bit and, and get into kind of digital wallets and cybersecurity in that sense. So we did a, a great podcast episode, a few episodes back with a, an individual named Tyler Frederick, and he works at the uh, Federal Reserve Bank in Boston in their fintech department. So really my question for you, Amir, is just how can someone protect digital assets, right? Think of cryptocurrencies, for example, that essentially the only wall of protection there is a password. I mean, I know that's kind of a 10,000 foot view, but there's it's essentially relying on a password. So can you just kind of dive in there and discuss kind of ways that we could protect things like digital wallets, digital currency and, and that? Yeah. So, so kind of there's two buckets that this falls under. One is where somebody else is holding the currency. Mm-hmm. So if you're using like a broker to do that, like a Coinbase um, or, or whatever, and, you know, that is the same as protecting any other online account that you have. So secure password, two factors of authentication, connected to another account that is also secure. 
And, you know, that that's kind of the, the main thing. Don't share the password, change your password. If that password has been breached, it needs to be unique so that if somebody steals uh, your Twitter account, they don't have your bank password, that sort of thing. So, so that one is, is pretty straightforward. If you're holding the currency yourself, that's also pretty straightforward also. Okay. So the way to think about it that way is that it's like protecting any other file on your computer. Um, it's, just an, it's just another file. So making sure that your computer is secure, making sure there's proper antivirus, it's updated, there's a password to log in, you know, you're not doing things or downloading software that put your computer at risk. If you have a large amount of or, or very concerned about your digital currency that you're holding yourself, what you want to do is separate that from the rest of what you're doing. So you know, it's often called like air gapping. So you'll, you'll put it on a computer that you don't use for anything else. Mm -hmm. And you know that you're not doing your web browsing and your social media stuff on that computer and, it, and it's separate, it's separated. So yeah, so th that's kind of like the, the, the best tips for that. Yeah, no, go ahead. And also is, a, is also don't, don't lose the password, right? Cause I, <laughs> I think you, you hear kind of these stories as well as someone made a very unique password and then they lost it for whatever reason. They didn't kind of have good record retention of, of what their passwords were. And then all of a sudden they're, million dollars of whatever cryptocurrency coin they have is not accessible because they don't have a password anymore, right? That, that's right. And, and, you know, I'll just add that, you know, cryptocurrency is not covered from my knowledge under most insurance policies yeah. uh, that, that I, and, and I work with a lot of insurance policies, so it, it's excluded. And, and actually the, the reason that other funds aren't is because the bank has a responsibility to protect them also. So sure. it's not the case with crypto. Yeah, gotcha. That's a good point. So we have one final question for you, Amir. Um, kind of not really cybersecurity related. It might be. Uh, we'll see where you go with it. Um, so as we've mentioned a couple times here, so you are joining us today on the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. One question that we love to ask all of our guests is, "What is your personal definition of retirement success?" Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Not not something I, I spend a lot of time thinking about. So you know, you're this is good. It's it's forcing me to think. Uh, I would say that probably you know I would love to be in the financial position to be able to help startups and technology companies and kind of you know I've gotten a lot of help from people who are a lot older than me who've done this before and you know had mm -hmm. great success. And I'd, I'd love to be able to do that and invest in startups and, and help them. You know. That's nice. awesome. That, that's yeah. really good. Again, I think sometimes it's uh, good to go, hey, I know what my purpose in life is and and kind of <laughs> I know what makes me feel good, but also to throughput that into retirement. That's a, that's a really awesome answer. So Amir, I really want to thank you for your time today. Uh, I, I can say just even personally, um, I have Curtis and I, we've learned a lot uh, on our conversation, but uh, I know our audience will get a lot out of this today too. So I appreciate you coming on, lending a lot of uh, your expertise to the show and and, and can't thank enough because I, I could see where even in a couple of years where this could totally be a new show and, and kind of something else. So <laughs> we, we might reach back out to you if you're, if you're open to it. <laughs> that, that, that sounds great. Thank you both so much. It was my pleasure. All right, Amir, you be well. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Okay. So I want to say bucket list for us for this podcast, check uh, cybersecurity expert because I know... I know. 
we have we've searched a lot to find someone that we thought would really be able to connect well on the topic, but not get into the whole like let's get super techie and yeah. code and you know all all kind of this super technical stuff that I think people might get bored with or lost in or all that. So I, I thought Amir did a really great job, um, just yeah, striking that right tone today. So yeah. I, I thought that was a that was a really kind of cool way to connect with somebody. Obviously, is again he graduated from Harvard and studied advanced computer security at Stanford, right? So yeah, he's <laughs> he he's done his thing, right? So he, he's yeah, he's it. doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, he's got it. So all that was really good. Um, and I think from our end, again, we we want to, of course, and, uh, wrap up each show just highlighting some things that we learned or, or things that maybe to add on to to our conversation with Amir today. And maybe I'll just kind of start real quick uh, there. Yeah is I think one of the things that uh, Amir said that I, I kind of, um, I, I, I thought was very valuable to hear uh, from his side is when he's dealing with people, uh, especially people that are aging and on remediations, right? Is that, that many times that, e- that even with that population, even more is that they really feel shame. Mm. They feel like it's their fault that they fell, they clicked on the the pop-up browser, they fell for the text message, they fell for the phone call, mm. and they thought it was the IRS and it really wasn't. And then they they did buy, you know, a thousand dollars of gift cards, or they signed up for something they didn't really know, or they gave away sensitive information. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's my fault. I shouldn't have done. I know better than this. What am I thinking? I'm so stupid. And and what what he was saying happens is that they silo their story. Is that I'm so ashamed that I don't then tell people. Not only do I not tell people like, hey, I need help, by the way. Mm. I'm in trouble. But we also don't tell our peers because we're so ashamed, which would also be helpful. It's like, hey, by the way, they're targeting our whole neighborhood. And everybody in our neighborhood is getting targeted with this scheme because we're all very similar with profiles. Sure. And we won't tell each other because we're ashamed that we're all falling for it. So it would be helpful, I think, if we're maybe a little more open with that of like, hey, this is what happened to me. This is what I learned. This is how I could have prevented that in the future. This is how I helped solve it. I think all of those are really valuable things. And, and, and again, I know from our podcast, we've even talked about, hey, some people that are first person stories, these things are just really tough for people to open up about of, hey, from a first person perspective, I fell victim to this and this is what happened and this is how it affected me. And so again, as I think that's why Amir did a fantastic job of talking about his experiences with these sorts of situations. I could see where all of us, and I, I relayed that story about, a gentleman I knew that yeah. fell victim to that Nigerian prince. And yeah. again, he worked with money every day, right? And and that's something where just knowing that it can happen to any one of us. And if it does happen to you is, yeah, I think going to your financial institutions first and saying, hey guys, yeah. this happened. Let's work together. Mm-hmm. Where where should we do something? So I guess that, that's for me, the point I wanted to raise or or the, the thought that I wanted to share today, because I thought that was that was really fantastic to hear it from him. So yeah. Chris, what did you what did you take away from from today's show? Yeah. Um, you know, I think an important piece that came up was when we were discussing kind of how I think the question to Amir was how how we can kind of protect ourselves as we age with technology, you know, going from 50 to 60 to 70 to 80 and 
and it, it kind of segued into the the takeaway that, that I want to bring up, and it's just how important it is to kind of have a plan there. And, you know, and he touched on it, you know, you really almost need a fiduciary who you have to essentially entrust in your cybersecurity because, you know, if you get to that, you know, he talked about how we are responsible for our own security ultimately. And if we get to a point where we feel like we can't be responsible, you have to kind of enlist some help there. And and how mm. important it is, you know, not only that step of finding someone who you trust and whether it's a family member or neighbor, whoever it is, you really got to make sure that that person is trustworthy because you're essentially handing over the keys there. But then kind of furthermore with that, and you and I just chatted about this, Ben, and it, it's almost like a, a part of estate planning now and in the way technology is becoming such a big part of our lives. And I think it's only going to become a bigger part. So as we age and as we plan, you know, build these estate plans, I think technology and, and cybersecurity needs to be a part of that because, you know, if you do pat when you pass and you're left with all these accounts or say it's digital currencies, for example, that's not going to be at your bank. Like you, you know, you got to have, and, and not even to get in that deep, but just, uh, you know, like social media, for example, that Facebook account could live on forever if someone could get into it mm -hmm. after you've passed. So again, it's just interesting to see, you know, kind of, you know, not to get cheesy and how the world's changing, but technology is becoming such a huge part that I think it needs to, to play a role in, in estate planning. Yeah. And I think being thoughtful about it, right, is to say, hey, you know, here's the plan of handing over some of the keys to some of the things that makes my life work, whether it be my physical assets, like my car, my house, my, you know, like, hey, somebody needs to take care of these things that mean something to me. But from a financial lens is kind of do this on the financial and here's what's working and how this all works together and, and who I work with and all of that's important. Mm -hmm. But as you're saying is kind of that next lens is digital and, and I could see where or you've, I've heard stories of somebody's passed away and uh, nobody from Facebook knows that or whatever the social media platform sure. and somebody hacks that three, yeah. four or five years later. And now, um, you know, uh, I, I've passed, but somebody's now pretending to be Ben Smith and, and all the reputation that may be good or bad that I've built in my life and the people that are, uh, I can, they can interact as me and pretend to be me and use that to an advantage, which maybe helps them. But again, if I'm past, maybe, maybe I'm saying I don't care, but you know, maybe I do care here is that I don't want someone to pretend to be me. And then 10 years later, they go, Oh, that Ben Smith guy, he's such a terrible person. And look what all the stuff he did sure. while he's online to whatever party. Sure. And I think those are the things that are a little bit scarier there. And that's why, as you're saying, kind of making sure that username and passwords are really something that do get handed to the, the power of attorney or again, somebody that you trust to, to make sure that those things are cleaned up, possibly when we're done using them. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we have to be passed to be done using yeah. or or we're gone. So I think that's a, that's a really important point. So I do want to mention to you too, uh, again, we had Amir on and he, he did mention that uh, Achilleon does do kind of comprehensive managed security for individuals. Yeah. Again, he so he does the tools on all devices, antivirus, VPN, they do the monitoring like ADT to, and then they have the insurance component there too. So we'll have a link if, if that is interesting to you and you want to check 
check it out. We'll have a link to, uh, again, Amir is the CEO of that organization. We'll have the link to that uh, that website. You can go check them out and and see if that's a fit for you. I believe they do have a 30-day free trial if you want to yeah. try that out and see if that's... But I can see where, again, I, we've had clients that said, look, hey, when I was at this organization, everybody did this IT stuff for me, right? I just showed up and my computer worked and it had all the latest antivirus and exactly. all the securities on it. I don't have to do a thing. But then when you go home... I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm not an IT professional uh, with cybersecurity, uh, advanced computer security, master degree at Stanford. Uh, that's not me. So having some value from hiring a group that does it might be might be pretty helpful here. So For sure. um, again, check them out there. Uh, it was great to have Amir on. Again, you can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash five zero again episode 50 here to uh get the show notes and and again we'll have a link to uh, Killian there to check out but uh we really value you tuning in again it's been a been a nice little run we're still having at episode 50 our release timing has been a little bit delayed appreciate you staying with us there (laughs) curtis and i are taking on a little bit more as as our colleague abby is out on maternity leave so appreciate you being patient with us, but we really, um, we really value the opportunity to do this for you and with you, and we can't wait to do it with you again. So catch you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.